Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What would a no-deal Brexit mean for your finances? Fears are growing that politicians will fail to thrash out a deal to leave the EU before the deadline of the 29th of March next year. The pound has suffered after the Bank of England Governor and Secretary of State for International Trade both expressed concerns about a potential no-deal scenario, but what would it actually mean for your money? I'm joined by Laura Hughes, the FT's political correspondent, and FT Money's Kate Bearley to question what a no-deal Brexit actually means and how one occurring might affect your wealth. If you're about to jet off on holiday, one immediate consequence of all of the gloomy Brexit talk is that the pound in your pocket will buy considerably fewer euros or dollars. Amy Williams from FT Money is here to reveal where you can get the best deal on your travel money. And if it's all getting too much... Would giving away your possessions help free your mind? Jason Butler, our Wealth Man columnist, has been looking into the benefits of decluttering. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's money news. Last week, the Bank of England decided to raise interest rates for the second time in only a decade. Financial markets initially reacted quite favourably, although the Bank of England governor's subsequent remarks about the increasing likelihood of a no-deal Brexit caused the pound to weaken. So what does a no-deal Brexit actually mean, and why is everybody so fearful about it? To kick off the debate, I'm proud to welcome Laura Hughes, the FT's political correspondent, to The Money Show. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. So what's it all about then? Why is everybody suddenly talking about a no-deal Brexit and what would that actually mean? I think the reason we're all starting to panic and write about it is obviously the Prime Minister came out a few weeks ago with her white paper, her blueprint for our future relationship or the future relationship she would like the UK to have with the EU. And it wasn't received particularly positively by A, her own Conservative MPs, (laughs) and B, there were mixed messages coming out of Brussels. Lots of, uh, you know, European leaders saying that the PR minister is trying to cherry pick and she's trying to break up the rules of the single market and get a special deal that they're not willing to give. So suddenly we're all talking about the fact that March 30th next year, that date is looming. And maybe by that point, Article 50 will have come to its end and we won't have a deal in which instance would we crash out without one. And I personally don't think that's going to happen. Mm. But given the messaging that we're getting from Brussels and from Eurosceptics in the Prime Minister's party, that's why we're all starting to talk about it. And we've had Dominic Raab take over from David Davis as the Brexit secretary. And something he's really pushing is these New Deal preparations. So suddenly we're seeing government departments coming out with their plans for what will happen the day after we leave the EU without a deal. So with Parliament in summer recess, obviously 
this debate is happening in, in a bit of a vacuum. So the scaremongering has really been turned up to 10. But who's been speaking out this week and are they right to be worried? Well, there's Mark Carney, obviously the governor of the Bank of England, who says it's looking uncomfortably likely. And also Liam Fox, the trade secretary, said he thinks there's a 60-40 chance that we could leave without a deal. I think that they are right because of the situation at the moment to raise these concerns. But I really do think that it's within the EU's interest as well to make sure that a deal is done. And I think there is every possibility that we'll get to March next year. And if a deal is sort of nearly there and we're close to finding a compromise, I reckon the EU will extend the Article 50 process or the Prime Minister will ask for it to be extended. But... They're they're obviously right to raise these concerns and it's been very frustrating for business because they have no idea what's happening and it's only eight months till we have to have this deal in place. So it is right for this conversation to be happening and it is, of course, right that businesses and government departments are thinking ahead and making plans. You know, we've seen the Department for Transport, for example, set out certain motorways that might have to hold lorries if suddenly there's chaos on the next day in our ports. Small little things like that that are coming out. But interestingly, you know, the Brexiteers, maybe the more Eurosceptic cabinet ministers, initially were going, look, we're really prepared. This is what we're doing. Aren't we wonderful? And actually, to most people, they're looking at these plans thinking, this is nuts. This is crazy that we're going to, you know, potentially have energy generating systems out in the Irish Sea because we might not have electricity, stockpiling food and medicine. So suddenly they're they're all getting a bit panicked and we're not getting these uh, leaks out with such frequency from yes. departments. It's all quite end of the world. We should point out that one person who's come out against the scaremongering, of course, is um, Peter Hargreaves, the billionaire who founded Hargreaves Lansdowne, which many of our readers um, will no doubt be customers of. He said he would bet his own personal wealth that a deal would be done, as you say, Laura, because it would be in the EU's interest because we are one of their biggest trading partners too. But before we come on to Kate, who's going to talk us through some of the potential financial consequences, what would the average person on the street actually notice if we did leave without a deal, other than starving, not being able to get any medicine or drive anywhere? Well, I mean, it ranges (laughs) from, you know, everything, really, because we're signed up to an agreement with the EU over our airspace. So suddenly, if you've got a holiday booked or a flight the next Mm. day on the 1st of April, genuinely, will the planes take off? Will they leave? That will impact you. Because of the tariffs, because we would fall into WTO trading arrangements, we would suddenly see all these tariffs and that might affect trade. It might affect the flow of goods between us and the EU. And 60% of the food that we eat comes from the EU. How's yeah, it going to get We are an island here? nation. You know, lots of warnings about, well, suddenly you're not going to have your food on the shelves in the supermarkets, potentially. If you're reliant on certain medicines, we're signed up to an EU rules on, on you know, regulating medication. You suddenly might not be able to get the medicines you need. There, I mean, there's, it honestly ranges from, from everything, really. If you're travelling on the roads, suddenly you could have all this congestion because of the chaos that happens at the ports. I haven't really heard a positive story from any Brexiteer about what would happen to the average person on the street if we had a no-deal Brexit. And there have also been huge warnings that it could cost you know, individual members of the public up to £800 a year if we left without a no-deal. Well, another popular view is that The fear of a no-deal Brexit is so great that the government will capitulate and they'll end up doing a bad deal um, on Brexit instead just to get one done. I mean, politically, whatever happens, this could be disastrous for the 
for for the current government? I mean, do you think that it could be the foreshadowing factor for a general election? I mean, she'll come back with her deal and she'll have to put it before Parliament. And if they decide that it's not good enough, they could maybe table an amendment or a humble address and ask her to go back and renegotiate. They could reject it out of hand. That would then lead to a no deal. But parliamentarians will probably block that. (laughs) So then you have a situation where I think if the prime minister isn't able to get what she wants through, you would have her either resign or you'd have Tory MPs sticking in their letters of no confidence. We then might get a new Tory leader who might fudge something through. Michael Gove's floated the idea of us staying in the EA and just getting out and working on the deal later. That's the view of some sort of interesting Brexiteers like Michael Gove. Or you could see a vote of no confidence, a call for an election, and yes, there might be one. It's all so chaotic that I actually think the Prime Minister will be able to turn around to her MPs, the Eurosceptics, the Remainers, everyone, and say, look, if you don't get through and you don't pass my version of this deal, you risk, A, a general election, you risk me being forced to call perhaps a referendum on the deal that she's come up with. Mm. That could see no no Brexit. That could see Brexit not happening at all. So I actually think she'll win everyone over because suddenly, you know, if Parliament blocks Brexit and we have the prospect of there not being one at all, the public would be an uproar, I think. And I don't think any MPs would actually countenance going against the vote of the people. Well, absolutely fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for that in-depth explanation, Laura Hughes. We're going to turn now to Kate Bearley, a reporter on FT Money. So you wrote last week's main feature in the money section about the likely consequences for investors. And you spoke to a lot of wealth managers about their clients' concerns, but many of them are more worried about political instability in the UK generally than the prospect of a no Brexit in itself. Yeah, a lot of people um, saying that in fact their clients are almost more worried about the, uh, the prospect of Corbyn government in the UK than they are about Brexit. And in fact, a lot of people saying they're more worried about Trump and trade wars than they are Brexit. So I guess it's quite a kind of chaotic time uh, Mm. politically across the world. Great time to be a journalist, (laughs) of course, for all of us, but not a very happy time to be an investor. And if no deal was agreed, broadly speaking, what do the financial commentators expect? Uh, Well, firstly, well, firstly, it is widely expected that sterling would weaken significantly. So as we've been saying, obviously, uh, Mark Carney warned uh, recently following the um, rate rise that there was an uncomfortably high risk of this no deal Brexit happening. And then we saw uh, the gains that sterling had made after the rate rise really wiped out as he said that. So that is one thing that's kind of high on the agenda. So that means that UK companies deriving the bulk of their earnings from the UK would quite likely be hurt, and particularly if consumer confidence fell. Mm. Any UK company that obviously is relying on exported goods, and the UK generally is reliant on importing goods. Sorry, did I say exported then? Uh, So any UK company with a really high reliance on importing goods uh, would be hurt if those goods rose in price. And uh, the UK generally has a very high reliance on imported goods. So there is that risk of an inflationary surge in consumer prices, which would be negative. Um, House builders and retailers are already feeling a bit of a pinch Mm. um, and they could be affected. Also, companies selling things like cars, things like sofas. Big ticket purchases. Exactly, could be affected if we all 
all start to feel a little panicked and we all start spending less on those things. On the flip side, though, companies who derive the bulk of their earnings from overseas would see those earnings flattered uh, when converted back into sterling. So we're thinking of the FTSE 100 here, which did very well after the Brexit vote for that reason. Yes, and because those dividends coming in in um, foreign currency when they're converted into sterling would derive a benefit from that if we hold it in the UK. But the wealth managers you spoke to, obviously they are having a dialogue with their clients about how to hedge this risk. What kind of tactics are they considering? Well, it's interesting because um, the investors, the customers themselves are saying we're panicking about UK equities. Can we sell some of those? Let's turn some of my portfolio into cash. Let's buy gold and other perceived safe haven assets and buy things like the dollar. But that's definitely not what wealth managers what wealth managers are actually doing or what's necessarily best. And in fact, the best thing to do in general is have a very diversified portfolio, but also lean towards the FTSE 100, for example, which you know could perform better due to you know the fact that their earnings will be flattered in sterling. Those dividends will suddenly seem much better in a weak UK currency. Some managers steering clear of UK bonds, and that's particularly around the rate rise as well, but saying that actually there are bits of the UK market that could be could be good value. So it's about being selective, about veering away from some of the more expensive stocks, for example, in the US, and saying that there are things to avoid, but in general, just by having a very diversified portfolio, holding a wide range of assets, that is the way to get through this. And I really like the, the view of one of the wealth managers who said, you know, you've got to take a long term view. This is something that's going to affect your portfolio potentially over the next six months to a year. If people want to convert a, a slab of their portfolio into cash, um, she questioned, you know, do you actually need that cash? Mm. Will you be using it to buy a house or to pay for some known about expenditure? Because if you don't, then you should just take a step back and yeah, let the markets take the course. Wait for things to die down a little bit. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, you can read all about this story in the FT Money section of the FT website. What would an ideal Brexit mean for your finances? That's online now at ft.com slash money. And if you've got any questions that you'd like to put to either Laura Hughes or Kate Bearley about the subsequent piece, then do email us money at ft.com or tweet us at FT Money on Twitter. For those of us who have yet to go on holiday, all of the mutterings about a no-deal Brexit have instantly made travelling abroad a more expensive prospect. But all is not lost. There are still things that the savvy traveller can do to boost their holiday cash. And joining me to explain how is FT Money reporter Amy Williams. Welcome, Amy. Hello. So just briefly tell us what's happened to the pound this week. It's been having a torrid time. It's dropped to below €1.12 and it's hit its weakest point against the dollar in more than 11 months. So really not good if you were hoping to go on holiday and hadn't yet got your holiday cash out. Yes, unfortunately, I am one of those people um, Me too. <laughs> scheduled to go to Italy um, at the end of September, which I'm, I'm hoping there might be some recovery before then. But for people like us, we obviously need to get the best possible deal on our cash to counteract somewhat the slide in sterling. Can you take us through some of the best and also the worst options for doing that? Well, let's start with the worst because everyone's in agreement on this. Do not get your cash from the airport. And if you do do it, then you have to order it in advance, which I'm told is slightly better in terms of fees and charges and conversion rates than just walking up and getting it from one of the many vendors you'll get at Gatwick or Heathrow. Um, So don't do that. Uh, Instead, you can 
get a prepaid card, which is one of the better options. Um, so some of the challenger banks like Monzo or Starling Bank or Revolut provide the best ones. So you will have to open a bank account with these guys to get one of their mm-hmm. cards. But this is a very quick process. And that's their selling point. Their online app-based services, very quick to set up a bank account and get your, your card posted to you. So that's one of one of the better options. If you don't like that idea, you can do the old-fashioned thing of ordering some currency in advance and getting it posted to the post office or Marks and Spencers or places like that that will get money in for you. And those retailers will invariably have better rates than a high street bank we found in previous um, yes. FT money research. So um, a little bit on how um, those cards actually work. So if you were to apply for one of those challenger bank accounts that you mentioned, when you use the card abroad, the money, as I understand it, is converted at the spot rate for either MasterCard or Visa, and no markup is generally applied to that. And with some of them, you can also take money out of a cash point without paying any fees, whereas most UK banks would charge about two and a half, three percent of the value of the transaction. That's right. And they'll they'll offer you a much better rate. And there are there are also prepaid cards that you load the cash on in advance. Um, So companies like FairFX offer these, which you don't have to open a bank account to access. It's like a a top-up card that you put the money on in advance and then you can take it out at a cash point, but they'll offer you a really good rate for doing it. And then some other traps to watch out for when you're abroad, particularly when you're handed a payment terminal to type in your PIN number. Oh, yes. The dynamic currency conversion that hits lots of travellers. It's something I've only just learned about. So you're sitting in your restaurant, uh, you want to pay the bill, you want to pay in your debit card, they hand you the terminal and they ask you on the terminal whether you'd like to pay in euros, we'll assume you're in Europe, or pounds. And it's very tempting to click pounds because then you can sort of work out in your head how much it is and whether you're in budget or not. But if you do that, you tend to be hit with a massive hidden charge and you 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 just don't want to go there. So always pay in the local currency and keep it in the local currency at all times. Yeah, certainly. And Fairfax did some research for us a couple of weeks ago um, where I think they said that the, the average um, conversion rate set by the retailer or the restaurant owner is normally way, way worse than the 2.5-3% that you'd have to pay with your bank. Obviously, the, the terminal will tell you how much, but you probably won't want to get out your calculator and, um, and, and work out the difference. So that is a very good trap to w- watch out for. But also, there are some credit cards um, around, which FT Money readers are, are fans of, that you can use again to pay for things um, fee-free abroad. And in some cases, take out cash from a cash point. But there's a hidden worry about doing that. There is. Uh, I recently learned this myself if you take cash out from a cash point using a credit card it can negatively affect your credit rating and this is because it gets registered as a cash advance and it comes up badly in the with the likes of Experian who are who are measuring your your borrowing and your paying back of things so don't take cash out of a out of a ATM with a credit card if you can help it Yes, may may cost you less money in terms of spending money on holiday, but it could cost you more dearly in the long run if you then can't get a credit product of your choice. Well, thanks very much there to Amy Williams, FT Money reporter. You can read more about this story online now at ft.com slash money and in the FT Weekend newspaper on sale from this Saturday. I want you to do a calculation in your head. Think of all this stuff accumulating in your house 
that you never use. I'm thinking about old sports equipment, things you bought for the kids, clothes in the sale that you perhaps bought but never managed to slim into. Well, Jason Butler, the FT's Wealth Man columnist, has written his column for FT Money this week about these hidden assets and what prevents people from monetizing them. Welcome, Jason. Hello. So, roughly speaking, how much money do you think you could raise by having a clear out at home? Well, you'll have to read the article because I actually have had the clear out and uh, it's still ongoing. Most surveys say that the average person has £3,000 worth of unused toot and rubbish around their house that could easily be um, monetized. I've got to at the moment four and a half thousand but i'm i'm aiming for the 10 uh wow. the problem is is that my wife is having a rather how can I put it a different view on some of the stuff that i'm trying to get rid of because she says we need to keep things so uh so uh i'm, I'm really focused on doing this not necessarily because i'm desperate for the money but because i'm desperate to sort of clear out my life and make it simpler well certainly the benefits of having a good clear out can be great but you argue that there's little point in doing this unless you tackle your buying habits well yeah the, the analogy is it's a bit like sort of uh, going for a big sort of weight loss program and, and getting fit and doing running and what have you and doing big crash diets if you don't focus on what you're eating so in, in other words if you don't focus on your spending habits and your spending motivations and why you spend what you do and what you do and the accumulation of possessions as a perhaps a proxy for other things in your life then you're just going to end up with more stuff again you're going to have to keep on getting back onto ebay and and the other sales sites and, and get yourself on sundays down to the car boot well, you speak in your column about the teachings of the Roman philosopher Seneca. What can he possibly teach us? Well, we've got to blame my eldest daughter because she's reading classics, so she is the expert on all this philosophy stuff. But essentially, Seneca, his advice was that we should all prepare and sort of mentally prepare ourselves to have absolutely no possessions. Uh, and he also suggests the idea of living like a pauper for a period of time so that you actually, what you do is you, first of all, understand what is important to you, mm. um, the value of possessions, but also it's that stoic concept of, you know, things are what they are. Life Stuff happens in life and you can't always control it. But if you learn to live in a minimal state, in a minimal material situation, then if you then want to have nice things and, and some material things, you're having them for the right reasons, your reasons, as opposed to kind of what marketing tells you, what your friends tell you, or what, dare I say, it, the uh, How to Spend It magazine tells you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much there to Jason Butler. You can read his column, Do Your Possessions Own You, online now at ft.com slash money, or read Jason in the weekend edition of the FT newspaper. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.